Pete Giuliano. It is Friday, the 5th of May, 2023. Pete, what number is this? Solder Smoke, 246, 246. Crank it in, Robert. Crank it in, Ralph. And happy Cinco de Mayo. That's happy right. Cinco it's, de Mayo. And if you were born in February, you might trace your roots back to Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> <laughs> it's something something could have happened in, yeah. in February. Yes. <laughs> For all of you with February birthdays, happy Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, this is Peter's a real Californian kind of guy. He'd remember Cinco de Mayo, man. It's really, really pretty cool. Thank you, Pete, very much. Listen, um, Pete. First, I think we, the first thing we need to talk about is something that's been of concern to a number of our, our listeners, and that is the the threat from AI, the threat from deep fakery. You know, and it, it reared its ugly head here in the last couple of podcasts because I pointed out that not on the last one, but on the one before that. So let's see, two forty four. There was a technical problem. You had some sort of Skype glitch. And so we turned to our friend Dean, KK4DAS, who has a lot of experience in this area. Dean said, don't worry, don't worry. We'll come up, we'll use AI and deep fake to fill the gap in the program. And I just, I just thought to myself, wow, this opens up all kinds of wonderful possibilities. I could, I could have Pete Giuliano. No you know, way. <laughs> decrying the SI-5351, pouring scorn on Arduinos, and embracing, fully embracing, analog VFOs and PTOs tuned by nothing more than a piece of brass screw. I said, Jesus, this, this is like a, a, new, a new day has dawned here in solder smoke, you know? And we got, we got, a, lot of, we got a lot of email. One guy, the, the, the funny thing about the email is that people objected to different parts of the story, but one of the, one of the interesting thing was is that they objected to the only part of the story that was really true. <laughs> <laughs> one guy wrote in and he said, "When I heard you guys mention the intelligence community, I knew it was all bogus." That's the only true the part. part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Pre-retirement, you know. Anyway, the the important thing about that that story was the publication date, which was, after all, April first. Oh right? yes, and and you know the the whole AI deep fakery thing. You know, I had we had you know I, I listen. I want to I want to ask right now. I'm going to ask something of the solder smoke audience. We don't ask for a lot. Most of this stuff is just free as it should be, but. If you were at all sucked in by this story on the April 1st, if you found yourself thinking, wow, that really wasn't Pete. That was deep fake Pete. That was AI Pete. That was Pete GPT, you know? If you found, even for a moment, if you found yourself thinking that way, please send me an email and fess up, okay? Because we want, we want to keep track of, you know, how many people were kind of caught up in this, in this whole April 1st thing. Um, and we had one guy who did, I'm, I'm not going to mention names or call signs here, but we did get a message from one guy saying, Hey, can you please tell me the portion of the show in which Pete was deep faked and AI'd because I don't want to go sit through the whole thing because it's like an hour and a half. 
and I just said, well, you know, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we've offered a prize here, and it would be unfair for me. So, But he never got back to me. I, th- I have a feeling that he got clued in. But that was an indication that once again, our April 1st story has actually caught a few, Pete. Unbelievable as it may seem, but it was very timely. Very timely. So anyway, please send in. Don't don't worry. We we promise to only put the real deal here. The real Pete Giuliano. There'll be no deep fake Giuliano. No AI Giuliano. No Giuliano GPT. Nothing like that. It's going to be the real deal here. So I, I, I the people should rest assured, right, Pete? Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Okay. Good. Uh, second thing I wanted to mention. Listen. This this is. This is this is going to get into the 75-meter territory. You know, people say that 75 meters has become like an organ concert because all these guys sit around and do this, talk about their various ailments and organs. Um, but this is, there's a technical nexus here. There's a, there's, there's a, a nexus here with, with the, what we talk about, and that is my quest for hearing improvement. So I got high-frequency hearing loss. It has been documented by the Veterans Administration they gave me some hearing aids a while back, but I kind of didn't like them because they were kind of uncomfortable. I had to stick it into the ear canal and walk around with this thing riding on the back of my ear. Didn't like it. So I went back. They're going to give me another one. But in the meantime, I found out something that may be of interest. And I know it's of interest to many, many, many of our listeners. And that is that the modern AirPods, these white things that you see people walking around with in their ears, they have little microphones on them. And you could set it up with your phone so these things serve as hearing aids. So I, on a recent visit to the, to the audiologist at the Veterans Administration, she gave me a piece of paper with my audiogram on it. And I got home and I was looking at the phone and I said, how could I get this information into my phone? Well, Apple's got a, got a thing for that solution. You just take a picture, of, a picture of the piece of paper, and, and, and you tell it to upload it, and it does, and it automatically changes all the settings in your phone wow. for music, for video, for phone calls, and also for the little microphones that you've got riding up on top in your ears when you got these things in. Pete, it was it was amazing. I, there's rock songs that I've been listening to for forty years. I never knew that they were playing the cymbals, the high-frequency stuff. I never heard, I couldn't hear the cymbals. When you turn this thing on, when the, when, the, when the iPhone adjusted to my hearing loss, suddenly I can hear the cymbals. Wow. So really kind of an interesting thing. Also, the, uh, the business of my hearing loss is, usually it doesn't cause me any trouble at all, but the other day, and I'll talk about this in a minute, Dean and, and Mike and I were over at the, uh, at the high school and we were testing out some of the receivers that the kids had built. And Mike was way over on the other side of the lab with his transmitter, and he was sending CW. And I was standing there, and I looked at Dean, and I said, it's not working, I can't hear him. And he looked at me, and he goes, I can hear it just fine. It's just high pitch. <laughs> it's outside your range. <laughs> so, so somebody wrote in. They said, "This is great news, Bill. You've got a you've got a, an audio low pass filter built yes. into your head. Yes. Thank thank you, U.S. Army. Yes, great. Okay, so now I can hear the symbols. But listen, I, I've been talking to to somebody else who's who's interested in this kind of thing. You have to kind of fool around with the iPhone a little bit. It's 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 sort of like a, an ICOM 7300 
<laughs> we have to go through and set the menus and press the buttons and do the settings and all that, which is, can be kind of frustrating. But once you, once you crack the code, it's worth it. So anybody out there who wants help in cracking the code, let me know and I can send you some pictures, some screenshots of my, my settings. I could be like the guy, on, the guy with the 7300. Well, old man, you got to change setting number 53 to 72A because it'll get a little bit more brightness in your... No, we're, we're just worried about the, uh, the, the response of the AirPods. So good news there. It's been great fun. I can hear the symbols, Pete. Hey... I wanted to mention the uh, you you had asked about this the, uh, the 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 direct conversion receiver project at the high school. Well, the last time we talked, I was kind of gloomy about the whole thing. I I thought the whole thing had come to a kind of a screeching halt, but no, it didn't. It it started up again about a week ago yesterday, and then we've had two sessions since then. We have been brought back by popular demand. The students who were working on these things asked that we be brought back, which is great, which means that there's real, there's real interest in this thing. So we went back a week ago, and we were, in the, we were in the final stages. We had completed all four boards, but um, now we, we were just trying to... Hold on. Guapo is barking. Hold on. You, you need to take Guap, you need Guap. to take one second and explain what guapo means because it was just demonstrated, right? <laughs> guapo, guapo is the dog. Guapo is the Maltese dog, and guapo is kind of a slang term in Spanish. It could mean two different things. It could mean either tough guy or good-looking guy, or good-looking tough guy, I guess. But anyway. Uh, it, 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 Guapo, it depends on the day of the week and his, his, his mood. <laughs> sometimes he's the good looking guy. Sometimes he's a tough guy. He'll bite you. You heard tiny. the tough he, guy. He's a Maltese. He's eight, eight pounds, but man, he bites. Watch out. But anyway, I was telling you, we were brought back by popular demand. And, uh, because the, the students wanted to finish their devices. We had built all four boards. We had built the RF amplifier, the mixer the bandpass filter, and the audio amplifier. And we had tested all four stages, but now it became kind of kind of device integration, board integration. Pull the four boards together and test it to see if this thing is working as we knew it would work. You know, one, one thing I would say, there, there's kind of a, you kind of live and learn. You go through this process and there's things that you learn. We, we kind of just assumed, I think, that, well, once we got the four boards together, it would just be a piece of cake, putting them all together and coming up with Ooh, a working yeah. receiver. And we, we kind of forgot that, not really, that, that there's, even when you've, even if you know all four, four boards are working right, for, especially for people who've never done this before, it can be a bit tricky pulling it all together and getting the receiver to work right. So that's where we are. I think, I think in the future, we probably would allocate more time to this kind of system integration phase and getting the receivers working. But we were back last week and we were back yesterday and a week before. And so far, I think we've got four of the receivers working, four. And we're, we've been invited back twice more. So our, our hope is to get, I don't know, maybe six or seven of them working. 
which will be great. But one of the things I think we're going to have to do is, ironically, we're going to have to go out of the lab because the lab has got so much electronics and noise and rebar around it. It's almost like working in a Faraday cage with a lot of noise on the inside. So we'll probably have to go outside. This will give us an opportunity to demonstrate to the students how to, how to put up an antenna. We're going with a little quarter wave antenna, little wire antenna, no coax, nothing. Just just right out of the, the bandpass filter, boom, the antenna goes out. And and let them, you know, start experimenting with and listening to to 40 meters. So it's definitely got their interest. They're they they're 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 clearly taking pride in, in working with something that they've built themselves. But they really haven't had the experience yet of having this kind of thing around where they could just turn it on and, and listen. And, you know, you might say, oh, gosh, 40 meters. Why are you guys making them listen to 40 meters? Well, there's some interesting stuff on 40 meters. Early in the morning, I have listened to Australia with this thing on 40-meter SSB. There's there's CW, and you could say these kids aren't going to be interested in CW, but they kind of are. They're they're intrigued by it, and especially by the the kind offer of our friend Walter, KA4KXX down in Orlando, who's offered a reward, a substantial reward, I could say 500 bucks for the first kid who builds a transmitter and then checks in to the, uh, to sunrise the net, net, to the sunrise, sunrise. net yeah. on 40 meters, which is, and they, I, I had a couple kids come up to me and ask me about that. I had to make, make clear that it had nothing to do with school. This is not a school thing. This is just a Walter thing, but thank you for that, Walter. But, you know, it's, I was, I guess, I was kind of down last time about how many of these kids are truly interested in ham radio. That, that's still, I think, a, a legit question. These kids are interested in in science and technology, or they wouldn't be in this particular school. So, wh- whether that extends to to ham radio, or whether they just they're just using this as an opportunity to kind of explore some some more some different kinds of technology. Um, Either way, it's okay. I mean, they're 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 enthusiastic about it. They're working on it, and it it's good. And and not only that, we're, we're it's almost good that we're down to about six or seven receivers because it means that the other six or seven kind of fell by the wayside, maybe because the students weren't really that interested in it. So we're we're sort of left with the people who are interested in not necessarily ham radio, but with the technology and learning something about the technology. So that's pretty good. You know, anybody who wants to to, to learn more about this project, we we entered it into uh, a Hackaday contest. Hackaday has a contest for uh, technological education. We thought this would be a good one. So Dean and I put up a whole bunch of stuff and pictures, and and I'll have a link to it on the blog page. But if you just go to Hackaday.io, Hackaday.io, and just search for high schoolers build direct conversion receiver. It'll take you to the page, but if not, I'll have the link up on the um, on the on the uh, on the blog page, and you could just do it that way. What What do you think about the project, Pete? Oh, I, I think it's terrific, uh, and and obviously you you pick some interest of of a smaller group. So let's see, four receivers, four four people per team, sixteen yep. people. Yeah, sixteen out of sixty, or sixteen out of fifty, something like that. Something like that. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it's that's scaled, a good percentage. Back. That's th- a, that's thirty percent. Yeah. Yeah, and the other thing I I I said, and I real I came to realize this in the in the midst of my feeling kind of glum about it. Dean was good. Dean was Dean was a whole lot more patient than I was, and 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 I I kind of came to to realize that um, look, it doesn't matter to us whether these kids finish this thing this week, next week, next month 
or three months from now. You know, when you're a teenager, your interests kind of wax, wax and wane. You can be <laughs> yeah. distracted easily. I know you you were frequently wax you you were frequently distracted, Pete. Yes. There, may, there may have been days where you were not completely, completely taken by ten meters. Yes. yes. All right. So this this can happen. That doesn't mean that these kids don't won't come back to this. You know, a few months from now or over the summer. Now we we've left our email addresses with them and said, listen, if you if you run into problems sure. and you want to pick this up later on, get in touch with us. Which is something that you and I didn't have when we were kids. Yeah, yeah. If there Nobody wasn't somebody, to. <laughs> there was somebody. If my rig didn't work and there was some wasn't somebody Me? who was within you? bicycle range, that was it. <laughs> yeah. Um, hey, hey, I want to share something with you before I forget. And this is you were talking about the getting the radios outside so, yeah. so you could work. Well, um, my wife's in the hospital, and she's been off and on here for oh, a long time now in, in recent space. My phone doesn't work in the hospital. Oh, man. And I, and the only way I can call out is I got to go outside and stand next to this light pole. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I oh stand God. next to the light pole. My phone works. And you get but a good I, signal. Get a good signal. And I, and I asked the hospital, I said, is this my phone? They said, no, no. The way this hospital's built is it's off the road and it's down below grade level. And and it's just the repeater for my carrier, T-Mobile. There's not yeah. one close by, and it's really marginal. You cannot make phone calls inside the hospital. And if you got to call family and that sort of thing, let people know. Got to go outside. I got to stand that's, next to this light bulb. That's, no, that's terrible. That's you know, really, the solution is that the hospital <laughs> should have a Wi-Fi network inside the hospital, yeah. free Wi-Fi. Yeah. You should. You shouldn't have to rely on the cellular T-Mobile service. You, when you walk in, somebody should hand you a card and say, here's the password and the logon for the Wi-Fi in the hospital. I mean, we do it here in the house. People come to the house. They're going to stay a couple yeah. days. Yeah. What's what's the password for the Wi-Fi? There you go. Boom. You're on yeah, Wi-Fi. Yeah. You don't have to worry about the cell service. Man, yeah. That's terrible. So that's terrible. I've even had the phone search, see if there's something nearby. Yeah. Nothing. Oh, wow. Nothing. Uh, Oh man! All right. Well, we're gonna get Pete squared away. I mean, that that hospital should have some Wi-Fi. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. Sorry to hear about your wife. I hope she hope it gets better for you. Um, I hope she's feeling better. But um, I know you've had a tough road, and we really appreciate you taking the time to, to come and talk to the podcast in the midst of, of all this uh, personal trouble, Pete. So thanks again. You bet. Hey, hey but um, I, I talking about uh, projects. Uh, I listen. You'll be pre pleased about this, Pete. I have been working more with nanos and SI fifty three fifty one than I have for several several years. I blame Farhan and Rogier. Farhan because he created the MicroBitX, and Rogier PA one ZZ because he sent me one of his. And now I'm in the process, you know, of, of configuring Solder Smoke Shack South in the Dominican Republic. So I basically need two of everything, and I've got two. I've got one MicroBitX that I've used for a long time. And I've recently done some mods on that. But the one that Roger sent me, I'm getting that one ready to go too. And I've been, been working on it. But but Pete, um, you know, uh, I, I I managed to blow up nanos <laughs> <laughs> on... Yeah. Get this, wait a second. It's bad enough if you blow up one nano. But then you say, wait a second, but I got another one sitting here. Let me just plug it in and make sure, you know, I had a problem with the MicroBitX, right? So this is the, this is the road to perdition here. So you got a problem and you think, 
oh, I don't know whether the problem is in the micro bit X or in the nano SI5351 combo. But I got another good one over there. So let me just pop out the SI5351 of this one and pop in another one and see if it works. And I managed to blow up both of them. This is when even Dean looked at me. He said, how did you manage to blow up both of them? <laughs> and I, I, I realized how I did it. Now, the thing, the reason I did it this way was I had a very early model of the first MicroBidX. And when you look at the strip, the little strip that you, that you, that you connect the, um, the Nano SI53, what, what, what Farhan used to call a Raduino, when you connect it in there, there's supposed to be, well, there's, there's 16 male pins, and there's supposed to be 16 female sockets, right? Mine had 17 female mm. sockets. So what I was doing was just shifting everything over by one pin. Yeah, and pin 16 is hot. And so pin 16 was going, was hot, and it was going right in. Well, one of these pins was putting a lot of voltages on one of the outputs, and the nanos don't like that. Poof, nanos were gone. You know, I often wondered about uh, Farhan's design because there's a there, he could have put it on I2C and got the backpack, so you only have four wires going to it. In other words, the backpack plugs into the LCD display, and yeah. then you only have to parallel the wires to to the SI5351, the four SDA, SCL, and five yeah. volts and ground. And I said, why did he do this? I mean, it would have been... You you save the cost of a backpack. It's not that right. expensive, but you only need four wires instead of sixteen, and that would have saved you. It would have saved me. I wouldn't have blown up two, but I wouldn't have had the joy, Pete, of working with back, working again with Arduinos and Nanos and SI fifty three fifty one. But listen, in the midst of this, at least three different people came to my assistance. First, I'd like to thank Dean KK four DAS, who took a Nano that I got and loaded the the the, um, the, the, the software the, the code we're all now using kd8cec code so i said man put puts kd8cec code in this good nano that i have and the other thing is the early models of the red we know they don't have plug-in nanos they have soldered in nanos so i had to solder the nano take the solder the nano out and the bad one out and solder the good one in but i got that one going and then two other people took took mercy on me pete one is sunil over in india sunil up in uttar pradesh in india and his company is amateur radio kits.in and they are still making and selling the nano si5351 combo so if any of you out there need an si a nano si5351 combo sunil is the guy to talk to and don't let the distance to India deter you because Sunil can get it to you really quick. I mean, we put the order in and within a couple of weeks, there was a box from Uttar Pradesh out of my front step. And his, his little combo it has a really neat little SI5351 board with the 16 by 2 LCD on the top. It comes with a little encoder. It comes with the wires that you plug in. So really pretty cool. His website, http colon backslash backslash amateur radio kits, all one word dot in. I'll have the link up on the uh, the blog. Good, good. He was even yeah. he was he was even kind enough to um, 
to load the KD8CEC software in there for me. So it came, and I didn't, I didn't have to mess around. I didn't have to suffer, Pete, trying to get the software to compile and to upload like I used to do. But Sunil saved me from that. His company also has a new SSB dual-band transceiver called Ooh. the AirPal. So check out the website. So Sunil's company, thank you, Sunil, for helping us with that. And everybody should take a look at uh, Sunil's site. It's a good source for the uh, Radoino combo and a new SSB dual-band transceiver, the AirPal. Another guy who, who helped me was somebody who's, who's sort of taken over in a lot of ways from where KD8CEC left off. Because KD8CEC pioneered a lot of this, a lot of the software, and software that that are, that that Farhan himself has embraced as being something that you should you should upload, I think, into the uh, into these machines that he he created. I'm talking about Mark AJ6CU. Uh, Mark has been a big help, and he sent me uh, a nanos, two nanos loaded with the KD8CEC software. And I, I put these in, and they, they fired right up. They worked. Mark was kind of curious about whether they would work right. They did. And um, he's got a piece of software that I, that I really like. It's called the MicroBitX Settings Editor. This is sort of like the, uh, the old memory maker that, that KD8CEC had, which, which I found kind of difficult to navigate through. But, but Mark has really simplified it. And settings editor is really nice, and it's a free download from GitHub, and it lets you go in. You just load up the, uh, you just connect it to the computer, and you can change a lot of the settings in the software. For example, when you switch bands, when you skip from band to band, what frequency do you land on when you go to 20 meters? Do you want it to go to the very bottom of the band, or do you want it to go to the middle of the band, where wherever you can set frequency. it up? You could yeah. you could set up that way, and it's really nice. So, so thanks thanks to Mark for for doing that. Hey, um, Pete, I've also been, you'll, you'll, you'll have mixed feelings about this one, Pete. I've also been fooling around with Franklin oscillators. There you go. You know, this is an interesting thing because we have a guy in the, uh, in the, in the club, actually two guys in the club, uh, Lee and then Mike. Lee has been talking about Franklin oscillators. He, wants to, he wanted to build a Franklin oscillator and use it in, in an all-band direct conversion receiver. He figured, well, the, the the Franklin oscillator, you could get it stable all the way up to about 28 megahertz. So why not, you know, and and and, and just do it. Uh, and then um, Mike had actually built one, and and not not for not for really high frequencies, I think, but but he fa- he built it and was tuning it with a PTO. So it was it's really pretty good. It's 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 an interesting circuit. It has two active devices, say two transistors, and you use the two transistors to meet the Barkhausen criteria which you always talk about you've got to get enough enough feedback coming back and you've got to get it in the proper phase it's got to be it's got to go through one inversion and then the second inversion is provided by the second transistor so it comes back completely in phase with the with the signal at the input and boom off you go Barkhausen criteria met um, the other thing is because you have such robust of such a robust signal coming back from the second oscillator you could do very very skimpy very very light coupling to the lc elements of the oscillator i'm talking like one two three picofarads to the lc so you're not loading it you're not loading it and it's not and it's not um it's not going to be affected by temperature changes in the active elements of the oscillator so when uh, in the you put this LC parallel LC circuit in the feedback path 
coupled by just very, very, very lightly coupled. And what happens is any signals other than any signals other than the frequency, the resonant frequency of the LC circuit are just shorted to ground and they don't make it into the Barkhausen land that we were talking about before. However, when you set that the resonant frequency of that LC circuit to say 7.125 megahertz, that signal will be will not be shorted directly to ground. That that signal will face a high impedance to ground and therefore will be passed, and that becomes the frequency of oscillation of the circuit. Um, people have claimed over the years that this is a, a really remarkably stable oscillator, and I found it to be true. Uh, yeah, I've done some pretty unscientific tests here, but I built this thing up to 20 megahertz, and it's pretty darn stable at 20 megahertz. You know, and I, and I said it, it kind of flies in the face of a lot of the conventional wisdom that we've heard about, about oscillators. You know, that, that, okay, you know, even Doug DeMoss said, you know, yeah, you could build a, uh, an analog uh, LC oscillator up to about 10 megahertz, but beyond that, no. Doug was famous also for uh, variable crystal oscillators because he, he, just, he just felt it was kind of impossible to get good stability. I know Pete, you with your love of the SI fifty three fifty one, you know, <laughs> he shrugs. He, he, he is, yeah, I, uh, stability. But I, I, I was intrigued by the whole Franklin thing because wow, if you could get stability up up to say ten meters, wow, that that changes the ball game in a lot of ways. So I've been fooling around with these things, and I built a few of them, and um, you know, it, it's it's it, it's hard. It, they're definitely very stable. It's definitely a really an interesting circuit, and it, it is curious about it's curious why it hasn't received more attention over the years. I went back and looked at a lot of the publications about the Franklin oscillator, and almost everybody who writes about it says, "Hey, this is a really great oscillator. I wonder why it's not getting a lot more attention in the ham radio world." You see this going back, going back to the origins of the circuit in the late 1930s. You see it in articles in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, all the way through. Every time there's an article, the author kind of concludes, this is a good circuit. I wonder why it's not getting more, more attention. So it, that's kind of an interesting, an interesting question. I think it, it, there may be an element of kind of circular logic here. If, if a few of the key authors have never built one, they don't put get, it they yeah. don't put it in their book right yeah. and then all the rest of us read the books we don't see it so we don't build it so it doesn't get a lot of attention you know and so i i think this is something worth looking at and i've built a couple of them they've been they've been kind of fun now when you get down to around seven megahertz the and you compare sort of roughly compare kind of a Colpitts oscillator at 7 megahertz with a Franklin at 7 megahertz, you don't really notice a whole lot of difference. And I think part of that is because it's just not that hard to make a stable oscillator at, at 7 megahertz. I think the real test comes when you go above 7 megahertz. I've been talking to a guy who knows quite a bit about the, the Franklin, and that's Mike, WN2A, who is uh, uh, a real a real homebrew uh, QRP uh, hero. And um, he, he has, he's the guy who came up with 
what was were known as the MOSFET trans, trans, transmitters way back, I think 1996 or so. They were in, it was in QRP Classics. And then later, he converted the VFOs to, to Franklin's because he thought, you know, because he just concluded that they were a, a good way to do stable oscillators. So we'll continue to talk to, to Mike about that. And I really appreciate his input. It's great talking to him. One of the other guys who's been, who's been, um, whose kind of work kind of sparked a lot of this was um, a Mike, WU2D, who was building Franklin oscillators and did a video on it. And uh, he showed it being super stable, stable. He did it up to 21 megahertz. So thank you to Mike WU2D for, for pointing that out. And it's, it's interesting. We'll see. Stay t- <laughs> Pete, stay tuned. <laughs> hey, 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 Bill, there's a, uh, that sounds like almost a circuit that uh, Hayward had in solid state design for the radio amateur, for the it, two, two N3904s. I, I don't think it is. I think he said he did a tube. He had a two. He had one circuit in there that was similar, but uh, I'm, I'm, I, I didn't see anything about the Franklin. It, it, there are circuits that are similar that have two active devices, and I think West did have one of those in SSDRA, but not, not really the Franklin. So I'd have to take a look closer look at that. I'm, I'm not sure, Pete. I'm not sure, but anyway. Um, so it, it's, it's been fun fooling around with that. Hey, sort of related. Double sideband, my friend. Double sideband. That was double sideband. I, I I said a while back that I think there were a couple of um, kind of centers of excellence for double sideband a while back. One was in Melbourne, Australia, <laughs> with um, Peter, Peter Parker. Peter Parker VK3YE down there. Uh, but the other, ironically, or perhaps not ironically, maybe as you'd expect, was in Cuba. And there were a lot of rigs coming out of Cuba for double sideband. And I I was looking into this, and I, I had heard largely through Arnie Coro, who's now a silent key, but who had the uh, DXers Unlimited program on uh, Radio Havana Cuba for years. Arnie used to talk about the, some of the DSB rigs that they created. There were, there were really two, two rigs. One was called the Islander. And the other one was called the Hagüey. Hagüey was named for a town in Matanzas, Cuba. The Islander, well, just the Islander, it was a tube-type double sideband rig. You know, the reason they went with double sideband is they, they didn't have any filters. Filters, yeah. No, no filters. So double sideband was a natural thing. The other thing they learned to do was they, they learned how to use parts out of Soviet television sets. There were a lot of Soviet television sets on the island. And they were able to use these sets for, for parts. Pete, one of the stories that I got, that I heard while talking to guys about these, these rigs, was really interesting. There was one little tube that they were using. And I forget what the designation was, a 6BA, something six, it's the equivalent of like a 6BA6 or something like that. But it was known among the Cuban radio amateurs as the little spider. The tube, <laughs> the tube was known as the little spider. And I kept thinking... Why are they calling this tube the little spider? You know why? It was the um, it was the Cyrillic lettering on it. One of the Cyrillic letters, oh, one of the Soviet, oh. the Russian Cyrillic letters, looked to them like a little spider. So all the tubes that had this little spider on it became known as the little spider tube, yeah, wow. <laughs> which is which is amazing. But they did some really great work with the um, with the tubes in the Islander rig. 
and we've, we have a couple of, of radio amateurs from Cuba who've been in touch with us and sharing like pictures and circuit diagrams from islanders that they built. Later on, when things started going towards transistors, they built another rig called the Hagway, which is basically a solid-state version of the Islander. We have a lot more information about, about the Islander than we do about the Hagway, but we're continuing to gather information. So if anybody's listening and has more info, especially on the Hagway, please send it my way and we'll, we'll, we'll fix it. We'll put it up here on the, on the blog or in the, uh, in the podcast. But they had a lot of fun with double sideband and, uh, and great, great stuff. Um, let's see. I already talked about how I blew up my, my nanos. Oh, one other thing I wanted to mention mods to the micro bit X. I've been doing, I did a set of mods. I basically went with Allison's KB1 GMX's recommended mods for the micro bit X. And the objective, I think Allison had, had two objectives. One was to boost the, the, the amount of output available on the higher HF frequency bands, the, the two end, especially on 10 meters. I didn't realize I was only getting about half a watt out on 10 meters, which was not n- enough. Allison, I think, also wanted to kind of level out the output so that across all the bands, the micro bit X would have roughly the same output. So she recommended a series of, of uh, modifications. One, she wanted to rip out six of the 2N3904s and replace them with metal can 2N2222As. I, I did this. I did this on the first one just using a soldering iron, another solder sucker, and a lot of solder wick. Now, good thing the, the boards that Farhan provided were robust, so I didn't lift any pads, but it was kind of scary. So you know what I did, Pete? I went out and spent 35 bucks and got one of these solder-sucking irons that has the solder sucker built into the iron. Hold on a second. I'll show you. Pictures worth a thousand words, but this is an interesting piece of of gear. Put on my headphones here for those of us who have the video connection. Look, there's the device. Okay, it's just a soldering iron, and then it's got. Look at this. It's got the sucker. See, there's the business end. All right. So if you want to take a two N thirty nine O four part out. You just go to that part of the board, you put this thing down, you wait like two, three seconds for the solder to melt, then you hit the button, clock, boom, and it pulls the solder right out. And I'm telling you, it made my life so much easier when it came time to remove... So, so like on the underside of the board? where You, you just go to, the other, you go to the other side of the board, board... And just do right, that. Right there, and just, just, you put it right, okay, there's the lead coming out, boom, boom, boom. It In like one shot, maybe two will remove all the solder. So you go that, you do the three pins on the transistor, you flip the board over, you wiggle a little bit, boop, the transistor comes out. Wow. The, tra- the transistors were in such good shape that I kept them because you could use them again. They're just, they're good 2N3904. Sure. So I re- removed six of those and put in, replaced them with the 2N2222As. The metal one. Yeah, the metal ones. One thing... Um, Lex PH two L. Wait a second. Hold on. I want to get it. I want to get his call right here. Uh, our friend Lex 
Oh, man. Um, Lex over there in Holland. Ah, PH2LB. He mentioned, Lex mentioned that that when he did this, Allison also recommended changing the emitter resistors from 22 ohms to 11 ohms. So you're getting a lot more current through the transistors. Lex noticed that he's, his, his 2N2222As were getting hot, too hot, hot to the touch. They were failing the DeMaw test. In other words, if you put your finger on it, it became uncomfortable. That's too, too much. So I, I didn't want to undo this because uh, a big part of Allison's mod was increasing the current through these transistors. So what I did is I went out and bought a box of heat sinks for the 2N2222As. They're in 2018 cans, Expensive. and you can get them. Well, I, I, didn't, I got a whole box of them. But the thing is, now here's the thing. These transistors are close together, and the, 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 uh, the um, heat sinks look like little upside-down hats. Top hats. Let me see if I got yeah. the box here. Hold on. Oh man, I put the box. I probably put the box away. But anyway, when you the, the transistors were so close together that the, the top, the, the flat part of the hat would kind of bump against each other. So I just clipped off like like a third of the side of each one, right? And now they all fit in there really well. I put some desitin, you know, <laughs> desitin baby uh, stuff on it with zinc in it as sort of a heat sink compound. And it, it works really great. These things will get warm, but they don't get hot anymore. So that, that took care of that. Then finally, the the other thing is they they wanted to, Allison recommended changing like the the, the pre driver from a two N thirty nine oh four to a, a a really hot transistor, a BFR one oh six. These BFR one oh six are a surface mount part. And I at first I chickened out and Todd K seven TFC out there in Portland he just came up with these little boards, little boards about the size of your pinky fingernail. But it's got the, the surface mount parts and it's got three leads, three vias coming off. So it makes it a whole lot easier. So on the first mod that I did, I used Todd's board. On the second one, I removed the original tiny little surface mount 2N3904. And I started looking at it and I thought, I got ambitious. Pete, I got ambitious. I said, man... I can do this kind of cold turkey. I could do this. Surface mount. Surface mount. I could just do it. And let me let me just try. So I had a surface mount part that I got from Mauser. And I cleaned up the spot. I, I, I actually put a little bit of solder on each part. And I did what you're supposed to do. I held it down with a little, like a little tweezers that I had. I just hit it with a little bit of solder. Doop, 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 and I got it in there. So I, I got all three of them in there, gold, just sort of cold turkey, just without without the board. So, I mean, I, the boards are great, and I really recommend Todd's boards, but it was kind of fun to get them in there just that way. So anyway, it, it, it worked out. It, uh, Allison recommended changing one of the surface mount caps to, to 470 picofarad, and this whole set of mods, it, it had a good result. So the result was that I went from like a half a watt on 10 meters up to about three or four watts on 10 meters. That's with two transistors? It would I, well, I changed actually six transistors. No, changed. no, two, two IRF 510s. Right, yeah. There's two. Just two of them there, yeah. Two. yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Now, I think some people could get a lot more because some people are running those two IRF 510s at 24 volts. 
But Allison was kind of, um, she said it, it's, it, you're not going to get a whole lot of out, increase in output because the, the driver power is going to be the same. You're going to be driving it with the same amount of power. So I left it at 12 volts. So I'm getting three or four watts out. What, what do you think about that power output level with the two IRF 510s? I know you've been working on this, Pete. Well, with one, that's why I asked for two. One, I get about two and a half watts. Right. So that yeah. sounds about right. Yeah, you think it's about right? Yeah. Yes. So it, it's it's fun. And so now I got this thing going. And, uh, I, I, and oh, at around the same time, uh, elements for 10 meters and 15 meters for the hex beam arrived. Oh. So it's been like a busy time here. So I pulled the antenna off the roof. Actually, I got Freddie, the gutter guy, to come and help me pull it off the roof. And then I strung the two additional elements on the hex beam and the thing went back up on the roof. And man, I am having a ball on 10 and 15 meters. I, I work, now I don't even have the amplifier hooked up yet. So th this thing is just the three or four watts out barefoot, <laughs> really barefoot from the, from the micro bit X going up to the 10 meter and 15 meter hex up on the roof. And I, I've worked, the first, the very first contact with this thing on ten meters was was Argentina, which is about five thousand miles. Then just the other day, I worked New Zealand. The guy told me I was five nine. I was, he said I was blasting into New Zealand um, wow. with this thing on ten meters. And uh, yesterday, conditions weren't great yesterday, and I was just fooling around and I was <coughs> exchanging text messages with Dean. Dean was. KK4DIS, Dean was doing what he called BOTA, Backyards on the Air. He was out in his backyard with a rig and a wire antenna. And we started looking at what spots were coming in on, on 15 meters. And I, I think we both, we both worked, both of them. One was in uh, Norway. We worked the Norway station. Then we both worked uh, a station in Scotland. And then, then suddenly I saw... I saw the um, the call sign of a of an old friend of mine. Hold on a second. I get my piece. Oh, my piece of paper fell down. Um, an old friend of mine, Michael EI zero CL from uh, from Ireland, and I saw him on fifteen meters, and I gave him a call, and we had the, the, this greatest great old conversation. Mike is just such an amazing guy, but um, we talked to him and and had a great conversation. At the end, I said, "Hey, listen up for Dean KK four DS." Dean got to talk to him. So it was, wow. it, it, it was really good. And, um, oh yeah, on the uh, one other mod, you know, once I got the micro bit X working, I, I noticed that my nemesis across town here, the AM broadcast station on, uh, 1220 AM, 1.220 megahertz was just overpowering the micro bit X and it was covering things up, especially on the higher bands. So I just said, damn, I got to do it. And I went and I built a little high pass filter with a cutoff at about 1.7 megahertz i popped that thing into the micro bit x box boom problem solved and i thought this is this is exactly what farhan had in mind when he came out with these rigs he said he wanted to come up with something like the bit x module the bit x 20 the, the even the micro bit x where people would be willing to kind of uh tinker with and improve and modify so i, I was really pleased to get that in there um other early contacts on 10 and 15 minutes. I mentioned, I mentioned Argentina, Brazil, and then all of a sudden the Dominican Republic. Woohoo! Yeah, came, that came through. So a lot of fun on um, on that on the air with those rigs. And you know, Pete, just uh, sort of icing on the cake. Um, 
yesterday or the, the day before yesterday, I get on 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 20 meters, um, and this this wasn't with the micro bit X, but I I heard him first on the micro bit X, but then I wanted to have a chance to make a contact. I made my first contact with China using wow. the hex beam, yeah. and it was a Bravo Alpha Four Tango Bravo Dale near Shanghai, uh, so that was really cool. And then I also worked uh, uh, an Indian station, a Victor Uniform 3 Tango Papo Whiskey. Uh, great contacts, really both very nice fellas. And it was really, really kind of cool. I think conditions are getting better. Um, both these contacts were on 20 meters, but it worked both India and China. And I had wow. never, I had never, I had rarely even heard China before. But now uh, both of these on SSB. You're a veteran. <laughs> I, that's it. <laughs> that's it. So we've 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 worked we've worked these stations really cool. Um, anyway, I, I've rambled on enough about what's on my bench. Oh, one other thing, Farhan has the S Bidex. He's taking orders. This is the SDR version of the Bidex. Right now, they're 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 I think they're still doing kind of beta testing, and he's got some people out there who are testers. But he's taking orders on the S Bidex, and it's looking mm. good, looking really interesting. So check out the HF Sigs web, website. Farhan's at HF Sigs. Dot com and uh, check it out HF Sigs for Farhan. You'll find the you'll find the S Bidex there. Take a look, Pete. What are you working on? What's on your bench? Shameless Commerce Division. Oh man, we forgot about the Shameless Commerce Division. Okay, a few things to, to mention. Thank you for reminding me, Pete. Um, we had the um, the Amazon ads on the blog went down for a while because of some mysterious reason. I suspect some sort of a Bezos related conspiracy. Uh, but they're back up, so we have the ads now. So anytime you guys want to buy something from Amazon, use one of the ads. They are on the left-hand side or the right-hand side of the blog. And cha-ching, we make some Bezos bucks here. Send us that stuff. Um, the other thing is uh, think about being a Patreon patron of the of the blog. Uh, some guys have signed up as patrons. We try to try to send some additional info and 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 content as they say in that direction but but we're really appreciative of all the support and uh so check check that out the third thing is our friend out there in portland uh todd k7 tfc with mostly diyrf.com mostly diyrf.com he's got a whole variety of parts and boards he's got tia boards termination insensitive amplifier boards He's got high cast, high cast boards. He's got AD, ADE one boards. You could you could basically source an entire SSB transceiver from yes. well, mostly from the boards available on Todd's site. I have a link to the site on the on the blog. If you forget, mostly DIYRF. Just take a look on the right hand side. You'll see a link to Todd's operation there. Check it out. It's really uh, really the kind of thing that we as home brewers really need. So definitely check check that out. I, I've been privy to some advanced projects that he's working on. Stay tuned, man. <laughs> Stay tuned. Some exciting stuff coming. I mean, I don't think this guy sleeps. <laughs> I don't think this guy sleeps. I mean, keep get plugged into his newsletter. Oh, man. Because he's going to be dropping some boards here this summer that are really exciting, some exciting stuff. Good, great stuff, and, it, and he's, he's such a nice person too. So it, yeah. it's great, it's great to work with him. Pete, Pete, what do you got on your bench? 
What well, are you working on? Uh, my time is very, very limited. Uh, spending a lot of time traveling between here and the hospital and caregiving, so not as a lot. I, I envy the fact you can get on the air and workstations. <laughs> yeah, the, that was a thing of the past. One project I am working on is a 10-meter single sideband transceiver. And uh, it's been documented on my blog, hamradiogenius.blogspot.com. And as a matter of fact, I've done another thing. I've, I've been collecting all the postings on the blog, and I converted them to a Word document in a PDF. So if you go to n6qw.com, you can download <clears throat> all the uh, over two months' worth of postings. A lot of work has been done with the, the central to this is the BFR-106. That's the part we were talking about before that I heroically soldered in. Yes. So the transceiver has got mostly BFR-106s. Even the microphone amplifier is a BFR-106. And at $0.40 a unit cost, you can afford to put one in the microphone amplifier, and it really works well. I've got uh, an architecture similar to the P3ST, so the IF module is two BFR-106s. Are you using surface mount BFR-106? Surface mount, yes. Are you using Todd's boards? No. I, 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 I designed my own board. I had a board, so okay. I designed my own board, so I just used the parts. But, I mean, Todd's, Todd's boards would work. You just solder them right on. But a board I had already designed. I got gotcha. you. Uh, okay. With the parts. Uh, the steerable amplifier is a BFR-106. And a sleeper part... A good RF device is a 2SC5706 that you can get from W8DIZ. Wow. And the thing that's nice about this this particular part, and it makes it, uh, makes it nice from my construction built using the CNC mill, when it comes to a heat sink, I just cut out a pad, a copper pad, and you can solder that transistor right to the copper pad. So not only is it the connection point, but it's also the heat sink. Wow. So directly, you just directly soldered a tab right to it. That's the collector. Wow. 2SC5706, and they're really inexpensive. Matter of fact, I think Diz has a, as an amplifier, has a 5-watt amplifier using this 2SC5706, but you can just buy the parts. So it's, uh, it's worth uh, connecting to that. So uh, anyway, I've tried to document. I have. There's a lot of LT Spice simulations that are in that that blog. So just about all the circuits have a LT Spice with the BFR 106. And just recently, I did one on using the IRF 510. So there's some documentation on the IRF 510 and what you can do. Which brings up something that I wanted to share a little bit about and to grouse a little bit about. Um, there's a group that's associated that's trying to build a P3ST, and I was a member of that group. And after a while, I said, "Look, I can't take this anymore. It's my design. Don't argue with me." <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. I, I did it. It works. All I got to say is, here's the work. Just, just do what I tell you, and it'll work. But here was something that uh, I used on the uh, 10 meter transceiver was the bandpass filter. So guys are building the bandpass filters, and they don't have the right parts, so they're just putting parts in there. And then they get their nano VNA that they just got, and they measure it, and they say, there's something wrong with your design. No, there's nothing, nothing wrong with the design. The problem is you're not following what you need to do to build this thing. 
And a good example is uh, one individual took his nano VNA and he got a very peaked response, very peaked response and says, what's wrong with your design? Well, I said, first of, I know what the problem is. There's nothing wrong with the design. You have a wrong capacitor. There's a suction coupling capacitor. If that suction coupling capacitor is too small, you're going to get a peak response. Right, yeah. If it's too big, you're going to get a double hump saddle. You're going to get right, the cattle right, right. Yeah, sure. So, so immediately, if you did your nano VNA, if you took the time to just understand what you're doing, you would know that's too small of a capacitor. Don't say there's anything wrong with the design. So, I mean, I bristle a little bit because guys get these tools, and all of a sudden, it's a tool tells me that your design is wrong. It's not. What you have is the wrong value of capacitor. So then he, a particular individual, said you needed a one picofarad coupling capacitor between the sections. So how do you get a one picofarad? So I said there's three ways to do it. One, if you get solid state design for the radio amateur appendix two, where Wes teaches you how to build a bandpass filter from scratch, he highlights getting that small value of section coupling capacitor and shows you how to do it. That's that's way one. Way two is to get a small value trimmer and a very precision capacitor. If you series those, it's just like the resistors in parallel. You right. can tune that thing to one picofarad. And the third is to use a gimmick. You can just get some twisted wires, gimmick, and cut it till you get the response that you want. Well, the answer you get back is, uh, I've never built a gimmick, but that won't work because it's too floppy. Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait a minute. First of all, I use stiff wire. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. He, and, he, and the other thing is you can buy chip capacitors, precision chip capacitors, one picofarad at 0.01% and are 50 cents. I know. So, so, I mean, you have lots of options, but you're arguing with me about I can't find small capacitors. You didn't look. Yeah, I know. And you I didn't know. listen. I'm sitting here at my desk. I'm looking around. And I can't find any, so they must not exist. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, the gimmick is 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 such a such a cool thing, actually. You know, Mike WU2D when he was building the Franklin oscillator has two gimmicks in there, two gimmicks, and you, and you could just trim them. You could just do whatever you want. They're great. You clip them off. You know, make another one. Heck, it's just two pieces of wire. Yeah, yeah. And, and use the solid copper wire because then right. it becomes very. St and if you build them such a way that you you solder them down to a board. They won't move. They won't. No, they're fine. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, um, on on the same topic, uh, Nick Vic, uh, Nick the Vic, yeah. M0NTV, has a video out just yesterday on building bandpass capacitors. I just watched the first few minutes of it, so you might want to take a look. But, Pete, we've had a similar experience with the students because our bandpass capacitor, bandpass filter, is just a dual-tuned circuit with a one little cap between them. Section coupling cam. Yeah, and it's been really fun with the students to sit there and tune it and watch the response and get the response exactly as predicted. But it does require some tuning. If you don't have that center cap tuned properly, you could get exactly what you're talking about, yeah. a little peak right there. So, yeah, it, it, it's, it, it's a shame that these guys aren't, aren't uh, smart enough or polite enough just to, to follow your advice. Well, the thing is, they took the nano VNA and they took a measurement. And if they had spent some time with LT Spice, and I told them, build the circuit in LT Spice, change the value of that capacitor, make it smaller than what's shown in the schematic, make it bigger, and then look at your look at your, look at your display on LT Spice, and you can see it. <laughs> you don't yeah. have to put, you don't have to build it. 
in hardware, you don't have to put the nano VNA on it. You can see, well, if I make it too small, it's going to be peaked. If I make it too big, it's going to be double hump. And if I make it just right, I'll get a flat response. What's so hard about that? And then you argue with me. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. You know, um, the yeah, I mean the, the 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 get to get to get the right response. What a lot of, another problem with the nano VNA is a lot of guys will charge right into it and they won't do the calibration. If you don't do the calibration, everything will be all screwed up. You know, so uh, this is one of the reasons. So I kind of I kind of like Farhan's uh, Antuino. He sent me an Antuino a while back, yes. which is. It's not a vector network analyzer. It's just a scalar network analyzer. It's an SNA, but but you could just plug it in there and you get a look, good look at the at the filter passband. You don't have to worry about a whole lot of the calibration jazz, but it gives you a good picture of what yeah. that filter passband is. And so I I kind of I mean I I like both devices, but if I'm doing it quick and dirty and I just want to get it get a quick look, I'll just grab the 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 scalar network analyzer, the sure, Antuino, sure. and take a look at it. Sure. But, yeah. But I'm just saying, if you're going to do some home brewing, spend some time. First, I've learned how to use LT Spice. Yeah, I mean, definitely. it's an invalu- invaluable tool because you can look at some things without building any hardware. And then you, after a while, you get a sense. Say, oh, uh, that's got a peak response. That's the wrong size capacitor. Or I got a nice flat band pass. That's the right size capacitor. So I, I'm just... I tried to spend a lot of time with the LT Spice simulation so that you could look at it and have some feel what you're doing. So I'm getting close, but my time is very limited. I mean, you can't do much in five minutes. No, you can't. <laughs> you know? no. You're no. gonna have. I mean, you obviously spend a couple of hours working on something and finally say, "Okay, yeah, I got it fixed." But it's it's hard to do in oh, no, five minute it, increments. Um, I know. I, I, I sympathize. So um, the other the other thing I want to just shift gears on. Just one, one last... second about one second about about LT Spice. I agree with you. And I don't know, I, I mentioned this before, but we were really amazed because when we were doing the DC receiver, when we were sort of designing and, and tweaking it, we gradually built all four stages in LT Spice. And I was just treating them as sort of discrete stages. No. But then all, all of a sudden in LT Spice, I connected them. And then I, I kind of looked away and I looked back at, at the receiver and it was firing up in LT Spice. Yes. I mean, it's not a surprise that the amplifier or the bandpass filter or even the mixer work, but I never expected the oscillator yeah. to, to meet the Barkhausen criteria in LT Spice and show oscillations. Then I could tune it. I could say, okay, I gotta, let's, let's pretend that we have a little signal at 7.1 megahertz, and let's set the oscillator to 7101 and see if we get a 1 kilohertz audio output. We did. And I, I, did, I was joking with Dean. I said, all we need to do is hook up an speaker. antenna and a speaker, and <laughs> boom, we've got an SDR transceiver or receiver anyway. Yeah, Great. Yeah, yeah. But go ahead. But you were yeah. going to say something. And the, uh, the other thing I just wanted to mention is in the last podcast, I'm, I, I spoke about uh, a tube-type transceiver that's in, in the future drawing boards and uh, the need to heterodyne the uh, Collins uh, PTO. And I mentioned that Adafruit had this uh, neat board. And then someone sent me an email about Hans Summers at QRP Labs has this thing called Programmable Rocks. Yeah, the Prog Rock, yeah. Prog Rock. Yeah. And and these are little boards that are that actually have a micro uh, USB connector on it so that you can load the frequency in. And, and then the unit will spit out either one or three frequencies on 
on on the board based on what you program. But the thing that's interesting is that he he sells it in different configurations. He he has one that looks like a a uh, eight pin dip. He's got another one that's got a two two by six header that you can plug in, and another one he shows he actually built it inside of a crystal can. So he's you take the crystal. You, you cut the bottom off, you plug this thing in there, and you solder the thing back on. So it looks just like a crystal, and you plug it in the circuit. So they're about, I think they're about 18 bucks. Yeah, and it's, you got to tell really, them what you want. It's a, it's, a, it's a really neat little idea. It's As I understand it, it's basically just the SI5351, but without the microcontroller, without the right. Arduino. Right. And as a matter of fact, uh, Spectrum uh, Silicon Labs, now uh, Skyworks, has has a utility called the clock oscillator and this clock oscillator utility lets you set the numbers so that you can program it and there i think there's an eprom right right on the little board that sets the frequency once you program it it always boots up to that frequency there's a guy in the uk who built a direct conversion receiver using one of these prog rock devices and what he discovered through messages from hans was that if he put three switches on a board by changing the configuration of the switches, he yeah. could jump around to multiple QRP frequencies. Yes. Now, I, I just said I, I was joking with Dean. I said, "Man, it, it gives me it gives me a headache just trying to remember what the what what the combinations of the switches are." But it's it's a neat use of the technology, and he's he's built himself a really really interesting right. DC receiver. We'll have to get we'll have to put that up on the blog and get that video going. But right. interesting stuff. So man, Pete, you you you're, you're doing a lot in spite of the the, uh, the adversity that you're, you're facing. So, anyway, uh, great stuff. Hey, listen, should we do mailbag? Yeah, we gotta, we gotta, we're, we're we're already overtime, Pete. We mentioned um, West W7ZOI. Uh, he's been so helpful on so many things. Uh, he provided great info and analysis on the Franklin oscillator, and in the course of doing so, he also passed along a whole lot of technical info that he recently put up on his on his blog or on his website and it's uh, w7zoi.net oldtech slash ponder dot html i'll put the link up on the blog but a, a bunch of articles that haven't really made it onto the to the internet yet a lot of great stuff in there i mean he's just such a prolific uh technical guy and great writer so i mean i'll, I'll put this up there we mentioned um PH2LB and the UBITX mods and the TO818 heat sinks. But Lex is involved in another project with us, Pete. And I'm going to reach to it over here. It's this oh, thing. Oh, there yeah, you go. It looks like I might, I might, I might be not mirroring, but um, it's the uh, a replacement sticker. We need a new sticker. And uh, I'm going to put this the sticker that, that Lex came up with. I'll put it up on the blog, and we'll, we'll, we'll invite comments we obviously needed to do something about the IBEW reference because there were a couple of reasons. One, brotherhood might not have been quite inclusive enough because one thing we're finding out in the, uh, in, the, in, the, in the high school project is that there are a lot of women who are interested in this stuff. And when we say brotherhood, it's kind of, you know, kind of off-putting, I think, so we'll get rid of that. But also, it's confusing with the labor union. People in the States look at it, they think it's some sort of union thing, the IBEW. Yeah, not, nothing against those guys, but this is an entirely different activity. So for us, it was the International Brotherhood of Electronic Wizards, all right? And so, but anyway, we're looking for a new a new sticker because we, we're, we're, we're into stickers, sticker culture. 
we were we were out in Charlottesville not long ago with my daughter, and as we walked around town, I I spotted a whole bunch of stickers that I put up there <laughs> on a previous visit. I said, "Who who is this? Holy cow! Solder smoke is sweeping the nation." Uh, <laughs> um, Got some great email about the Franklin Oscillator. You mentioned Hans, G0UPL. Hans has a Franklin Oscillator up on his site, tube type, but, uh, but, but he was ahead of the game on that. And a guy who's really been responsible for the recent embrace of the Franklin Oscillator at, at global levels, I would say, is Costos, SV3ORA. I mean, if you want to take a look at a site with a lot of interesting stuff, just check out Costos's site. Just do a search for SV3ORA, and man, you you could you could spend a lot of time in there looking at the interesting circuits that Costos has made, including the uh, including the uh, uh, the Franklin oscillator, and Costos is actually the guy who encouraged Mike WU2D to take a look at this circuit. So Costos is the is the is the guy responsible for this wave of Franklinism that's sweeping the, the planet. Then you got to look at the Butler oscillator. The Butler oscillator. It's, it's similar to the Franklin, right? Yes, it is. All right. So that might be the one that, that, that Wes had. Uh, it might be. We'll take a look. But anyway, thanks to, to, to Costos and to Hans. Hey, listen, I want to, Pete, I want to mention something. Uh, we, I don't spend enough time listening to other podcasts. But I did the other day, and I, I just fired up Ham Radio Workbench, and I was looking at what they'd done. And, and the one thing that caught my eye was Ham Radio Workbench number 178. They were talking about SATNOGS, which is a, a worldwide network of VHF, VHF and UHF. And that's the thing. I didn't realize that the guy that they were interviewing, the guest that they had that time, was, was your old friend Ben. And I don't. His his call sign recently changed. AI six YR. AI six YR. What an interesting guy. And he, yeah. he I, I checked out his QRZ page. He's into the old radios. He must. You must have influenced him there, Pete, with a TR seven that I see in the background. But a lot of good stuff and a lot of good information on on satnogs and the receiver. This is of interest to us because the local high school put up a CubeSat that they're still working on. And so I was interested in Satnox, but I just started listening to this stuff and I really, I was amazed. Okay. There were so many kind of old friends that came up on the podcast. First of all, George, George Zaff, KJ6VU, George used to be one of the sponsors of the Solder Smoke podcast. He had a repeater controller that they were working on. And so for a long time, they were sponsoring it right here. That's how we got to know George. George was a, a Silicon Valley guy up there in the in the valley he's since moved he's moved out to oregon he and he has more room hopefully for antennas and things like that and he he's he bought he's he's bought a ride-on lawnmower and oh, was talking yeah. about that i told him i said i said george you're getting ready for 75 meters next you're going to be talking a lot about raking leaves and and cutting the grass and and ailments <laughs> so be be careful then he then the guest host that they had on another another guest part of the team is Thomas K4SWL who's got the shortwave listening post blog and the QRP blog and and it was so great to hear him in the course of him talking Thomas is talking he just casually mentions somebody that he's been working with Jeff Whitlock Jeff Jeff was on the podcast a number of times. Jeff is the Piper the, the Piper Cub guy who had the yellow Piper Cub. 
and it was great to hear about him. Then Ben comes on. Ben starts talking about Satnogs, and he just casually mentions, and this was really blew me away, a guy that I know, John Zaruba, K2ZA. I have the DX100 that belonged to John's dad. Small world. Right there. And and Ben just mentions him, and he's been working with, 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 uh, with John on, on a number of different projects. So there were just all kinds of great, wonderful connections there. And it's just a lot of fun when you when you start running into to old friends and people that you've been in the hobby with for a long time. So I thank uh, George, KJ6VU, and all the guys from Ham Radio Workbench, and I'm going to be listening some more. We we all listen. It's worth worth listening to. Those guys are they, those guys know which end of the soldering iron to grab, Pete, as we say. Hey, another guy who knows which end of the soldering iron to grab is um, Todd VE7BPO. QRP home brewer, home builder, right? Popcorn QRP. This guy was a, an amazing font of information about QRP and home brewing. Still is. And I just, I went out to the mailbox the other day and there was a little box there. And I said, well, what is this? And I opened it up and it's from Todd, VE7BPO. And he's sending me a, a really precious item. Yes. And an AA... DE LC meter, almost all digital electronics LC meter, made by Nick himself, the guy who the guy who founded the company, who's now a silent key. Morrison. But, yeah, but but these and these devices, I, I we were we were using them when we were working with the, the the high school kids, and I was reluctant to take it out of the shack because I said, man, if this thing blows up, there is no there are no yeah, replacements. Yeah. So, but anyway, now uh, Todd sent me another one, and that one of them is going to go to the Solder Smoke Shack South, because God knows I need two of them. Let's see. Uh, I mentioned Nick M0NTV. He's got the video out about the bandpass filter, but he is like me, Pete. He is planning a 15 and 20 meter dual bander. He and he he and I talked a little bit about some of the early planning that you have to do with a rig like that. He's kind of different. He's going for high high VFO injection, high side injection. Yes. And he's going to use an SI5351, I think, running up about 31 megahertz. I, of course, am looking at low side injection because I got to keep the uh, the VFO frequency fairly low. But I'm, I'm still toying around with this thing. But I think I like his idea of a dual bander. You know, I, I the mono banders, we've been building mono banders for a long time. You get kind of tired of mono banders, but I think a five bander is almost like too much. There's too much switching. There's too much stuff going on in there. The dual bander seems to be like the sweet spot. So this would be my yeah, third dual bander. You know bander. what I like about a dual bander is uh, you have one toggle switch, a double pole, double throw toggle switch. You you switch it, and you, especially using an SI5351. Loads of, loads of second band in there. And the second half of the double pole, double throw switch Controls a bunch of relays that changes the bandpass filters and the low pass filter. One switch. I, mean, I know that's that's what so I got. So I got. So I have one switch. Both. I have two dual manders. One is the MythBuster, which is seventy-five and twenty. The other thing I do along the same lines is I have the LCD readouts from Sanjian. This is the only kind of part that I didn't build. It's just a. It's a. It's it's got a pick processor in in it. But on the on the MythBuster, I had two different. Um, LCD displays, one for 75 and one for 20. And when you threw the switch, one lit up and the other turned off. Yeah, there you go. I figured out by the time I built the second one, which was for 17 and 12, I figured out how to do it with just one LCD display. So when I turned the switch, 
the display displays 24.9 megahertz and I have to put it the other direction and it's 18.1 so uh, it's 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 fun dual banders yeah I think that's the way to go Nick hey uh, we've been getting some email from Trevor Woods in Western Australia and we've been talking about uh, Artie Moore I didn't know about Artie Moore Artie Moore was a really early radio amateur Artie Moore was a Welshman who had lost his leg as a kid. And, but he got really interested in technology very early, spark technology, coherers. He was using coherers. And he set up a radio station in a shack. He actually had a shack in, in Wales. And he actually monitored the, the, the CQD transmission from the Titanic. He went and reported it to the police. They thought he was crazy. They didn't pay any attention to him. But, but he actually monitored that. Now, we were looking at the pictures because there's some really fantastic pictures of this guy's rig from very early days. And there's a big picture of a guy on the wall. And I said, who is that guy? And we, we found out who it was. He's got a picture on the wall of William Ramsey, who was a, a UK chemist who won the Nobel Prize for chemistry, I think, in, in 1914. But we found out who it was through Chuck, WB9KZY, who took the picture, just put it into Bing, and Bing was able to identify it just wow. through its, its visual search. Um, hey, one other thing from Norway, uh, Helge, LA6NCA. Oh, neat. He had neat stuff. What happened to your picture? Your picture faded a little bit. Did the light change? Was the sun uh, coming up? Yeah, sun's coming uh, up. Sun's coming up in California. So I got an aurora about me. <laughs> it's the fake Pete. <laughs> it's not. People are going to say, I know at that point you put in chat GPT. No, it's just Pete. The sun is coming up in California. Yeah. Right. Uh, anyway, um, Mike uh, Helge, LA6NCA, he built this two-tube transmitter, spy transmitter on an Altoids tin. And then he followed up just a couple weeks ago with a three-tube receiver. All right? Yes. Now, the question I have is, the first stage is obviously an RF amplifier. The third stage is obviously an AF amplifier. The question is the second stage. Is it a regen or is it a direct conversion? I don't know. We don't know either. And I, I asked Helge about it. Helge kind of said, I think it's direct conversion, but he didn't seem certain. Mike, WN2A, is inclined to think that it's sort of a combination of them both. But I don't know. I'm not quite sure. I, I have. It looks to me it's more like a converter circuit. Remember those old converters where you'd have one tube would have an oscillator in the tube and a, and a, and a mixer. It wasn't really. It wasn't a regen. It was more of a converter. So uh, we'll have to see about that. We're still talking about it. Uh, Mike W2D. Not only did he do the Franklin oscillator video, but he did this wonderful video about retro QRP rigs from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Holy cow. There were, there were some fun rigs there. A lot of HW7, HW8, power mites, Argonauts, all kinds of good stuff. And he even mentioned... All a, marginal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> um, he, mentioned, he, he mentioned the Severn rig that, uh, that George Dobbs, K3, RJV, G3 RJV had, had, had put, to, put out. And Steve, G0FUW, sent me a, a, an email and he said that he was really glad to see discussion of the Severn rig. Uh, and he's still working on his. He, he started in, in 1983 on it, and, it, and <laughs> it's working. nearly finished. Marginal. Marginal. <laughs> well, I, I, I just said, I said, listen, you got to be patient with these things, uh, uh, Steve. I, I started working on my, um, 
Hearing Aid 5, I think, in 1976, and I just you know got it finished 38 years later. So these things take time. Um, Tim Hunkins of Secret Life fame did a great video, and he made a speaker. He did a, he did a video on solenoids, and he made a speaker out of an old potato chip bag. So Tony, G4WIF, and others were discussing this uh, and uh, discussing what kind of potato chips he was using. Um, anyway, um, we also discussed, uh, Tim did a video on how to cut holes in metal. Uh, and I've got links to that, uh, links to both videos, I think, on the Solder Smoke Brawl blog. Uh, Bob Crane, W8SX, will be covering FDIM, the four days in May event for Solder Smoke. It's Thank already you for around it. again, isn't it? It's, it's, it's coming up, yes. It's later this month, yes. Once again, Pete, you and I are not going. You bet. <laughs> but but we'll, be, we'll be there in spirit. We'll be, we'll be following and we'll be waiting for, for Bob Crane's reports. Um, Gene, VE3DNL, is working on a DC receiver. His is a bit more sophisticated than ours. Good luck with that, Glenn. Uh, Glenn, VE3DNL. Craig, KC2LFI, has been operating from the beach in Grand Cayman. Yes. Ooh. Where people Tough. go for the beaches and to visit their money. So uh, we hope you're doing a bit of both there, uh, Craig. But definitely a good, fine business on the operation from the beach. Got a great email from Steve EI5 Delta Delta, and he's the guy who puts out the, the the fantastic radio newsletter. They have changed the name, and I think it's good. It used to be like the Connaught Frequency Connaught Radio News, and I always found that kind of. I couldn't quite figure out what they were talking about, but now it's called Ham Radio Ireland Magazine, which go. is perfect. There you go. Yeah. And it's Ireland's only independent magazine for the radio experimenter. This is something that, that Mike and I were talking about. Not radio amateur, the radio experimenter. All right? Good stuff. And I got a link. The link to it is up on the blog. I talked about our, our conversations with Mike, EI0CL on 15 meters. Uh, Howard, N3FEL of the Penn Wireless Association, he wants to do a group build of our high school direct conversion receiver. Good luck with that, uh, Howard. Please keep us posted. That's really interesting. Uh, on the blog comments section, we heard from Martin, Lima Whiskey 9, Delta Tango Radio down in Buenos Aires. And he's looking for help trying to get the code going on an AD9850. What, what was his specific question about? He, it was, I, think, I think he was having problems loading the code or getting the code to work, and he was looking for help on that. So I could definitely sympathize because been there, done that, had that problem. And one guy pledged to come to his assistance, but I, I don't know whether Martin has followed up or not. Martin, he, he might be in the phase where he's removing all the parts from the board out of sheer frustration. So I hang in there, Martin. We'll, we'll help you, buddy. And, and uh, you're not the only one who's struggled with these kind of things. Um, Todd, K7TFC, we mentioned him. He's always helping other home brewers. We see frequent examples of Todd putting together care packages and dispatching them to the world. And finally, there was a really nice message that uh, that you got, uh, Pete, from Kevin, WN7Z. He sent a real nice message about the podcast and how much it means to him and, and all the help that you provided over the years. So great stuff. Pete, one hour, two 30 minutes. minutes. To what? Has it gone on that long? It, it was showing here. It's 7.30. Holy cow. Yeah, there we go. Uh, so, so good, good stuff. Uh, we we've covered a lot of ground here, uh, Pete. You bet. And, uh, and listen, I know you got you got all things to do. Good luck to you. Good luck at everything. I hope your wife's feeling better, and uh, we'll be talking again soon. You bet. And listen, next time next time we might have you singing the praises of analog oscillators. 
and and trash talk and talk trash about the SI fifty three fifty one. But that would be the robotic Pete. <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen. All right. 7-3 from Northern Virginia. 7-3 to the left coast. Thanks a lot, Pete. Bye-bye. Bye. Ooh, that's awesome. The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes, and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Solder Smoke is listener-supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. 